We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rob Osgood asks, guys, in your opinion, what type of defense is the hardest for Notre Dame to plan for? Example, 3-4, 4-3, 3-3-5. I know talent has a lot to say about it, but what formation would be harder to plan against? Thanks. I, I, I think you can't – you can't – I don't – I think it's more about the players, guys. Agreed. I mean, I get what you're saying, Rob, but I just – I don't think – Vince, I would say I don't think that of those three options, any of those are necessarily harder to defend against just because of the scheme or the alignment. Yeah, I see, I was always game planning against high school teams, and rare is it that you will find a high school player, at least where we are, that has a nose that can demand doubles and triple teams mm-hmm. and things of that nature, right? So I loved any kind of three front when I was, in high, when mm-hmm. I was coaching high school because you can run like crazy against a three front in high school, right? So – I have not game planned at the college level, and I agree with Brian when we're talking about Notre Dame. It's more about the Jimmys and Joes than the right. X's and O's. I mean, it just right. is. So that, that it's a, just a different conversation if I'm drawing from my coaching right. back. Like last year, Cincinnati's defense was a nightmare for Notre Dame. Nightmare. But it wasn't because they ran a lot of cover one and played what you know whatever front they did, you know, some three, three, five, some four, you know. It was more about they just had really good corners that could just come and beat Notre Dame guys up at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, right. And they did what you know, because Purdue ran a different defense and they did the exact same thing. But why did why was Notre Dame able to still beat Purdue? Because Avery Davis could get free against Purdue for a 60 yard touchdown. You know, Kyron Williams could take a quick pass and run 50 some yards for a score against Purdue. And he wasn't able to do that against Cincinnati. So I I think at the end of the day, I understand where you're coming from, and I understand that the the heart of the question. I just think it just to me, it, it, if all the talent is equal, yeah. right? So let's go there, Vince. All the talent is equal. I would contend that with Notre Dame style of play, I think a four down is still the toughest. I'd say probably four two five, which was one of the issue, issues. If 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 yeah. all yeah. the talent's equal because a four down front, because Notre Dame does like to run the ball and all that. Sure. 
against a lot of other teams, though, especially teams that like to throw the ball a lot, I do like the three three five because sure. you can bring so many different blitz angles with the stack linebackers. Agreed. You know, th- there's holes in all of them, but I think a team that's got a really good blitz scheme that has more blitz options can be one of the harder ones to defend if the talent is equal. And I, you know, so that's, that, that's, that's actually, I, I actually like that a lot. I agree. With, I agree with that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, here we go. Uh, John A1, a lot of talk from a speed standpoint, references the, the offenses. Uh, which year in the modern era, last 20 years, fielded the fastest defense? How would you project the 2022 defense? We're just talking Notre Dame here? Mm-hmm. I would still probably go with that 2022 team, Vince, or 2015 team. I mean, it's not just the offense. Sean and I were talking about this on the phone last night, and it was the thing that makes me so mad about the 2015 team is outside of maybe like Washington with John Ross, Every time that 2015 Notre Dame took the field, the most dynamic athlete on the field played for the Notre Dame offense and the Notre Dame defense, Will Fuller and Jalen Smith. I mean, Kavari Russell was fast. Cole Luke was a really athletic guy. Max Redfield had speed. Uh, You know, the defensive line was pretty athletic. Elijah Shoemate was really athletic. That was a really fast defense. I would probably still go with that group. You know, 
slightly over the 2018 defense is the set is it would be my number two Vince just from speed because you had Julian Love and Troy Pride especially you know Drew Tranquil was really fast at linebacker had a pretty athletic defensive line with Aguara, Kareem, Ogundiji, Dalen Hayes, Jerry Tillery inside it was a pretty athletic team too just not quite as fast as the 2015 team how would you project the 2022 defense Vince in that regard from a speed standpoint I let me see who starts that's a good good point. I the the linebackers have the opportunity to be very mm-hmm. very quick and athletic sideline to sideline type stuff. I think the defensive line is going to be athletic. I think you're going to see them dropping and and doing some different things defensively. I think that's going to help them. And frankly, the secondary. I mean, you know, we know that Joseph and Hart can pick them up and put them down. There's no question about that. Who's going to be starting? You know opposite them those are all really good questions I think this defense has the opportunity to be one of the most athletic defenses that Notre Dame has had in a really really long time Mm -hmm. and I will also say from a depth standpoint as well so if we're not just talking about the starters we're talking about the rotational players this defense can be really fast and athletic Jacob Hayden has a question and this is an interesting one Vince as far as talent versatility would I be crazy to say I think Jordan Patel has a top four talent on our defense uh, here's the thing for me. You said talent, not athletic talent. The problem is true talent is involves every aspect of what makes you an effective player. Correct. That includes discipline. That includes like, if you're a super athlete, but you don't know where you're going, or I can't trust that you're going to go where I tell you to go, then you're not really talented. You're just athletic. Jordan Patelho has the tools to absolutely be in that category. But if he was one of the four best talents, he'd start, right? And, and again, because we're when we talk about talent, Vince, it's the whole thing, right? It's the whole deal. If you have a kid that's really talented in baseball, same deal, and, man, this kid gets on base a lot, but he doesn't listen, he steals bases, he doesn't have good timing, he constantly gets thrown out a second, like, okay, well, you had this great on-base percentage, but you got thrown I mean, out. Good. You, you ran into this out. You were terrible in the field. You know, great at, great hitter, great runner, but you stink in the field. You know, it's just like, were you really a great talent? No, you had a great skill, athletic skill, but you right. weren't talented. Jordan Patejo can easily be one of those, but he's going to have to show us that he can be more consistent. From It's similar to what we say about Marist from a football standpoint, the execution, discipline. You know, I think he showed some of that last year, but it's just about he's got to show that he can – take all parts of being a student athlete at Notre Dame uh, seriously and, and be more accountable. If he can be that, then yes, I would say, yes, right. he fits into one of those categories and would provide this defense with a huge shot in the arm. But you got to be careful. If you don't trust a kid to, to always be there, you got to be careful building your defense around him being a key component of it. He He's the one that I hesitate with the most when we're talking about defensive guys and really anybody on the team. I just, there's just too much going on with him for me to really dive in and be all in on Jordan Batello. Does he have natural ability? Yeah, he absolutely does. But it's just it's bigger than that. It's more than that. I hope he figures it out. I really, really do because he yeah. can help this defense, man. He's really talented. He I mean, he is to, physically he's very talented. No question about it. No, no question about it. It's just I need to see some other. Th- he needs to prove a few things to me first before I am completely on right. the bandwagon. I mean, I'm kind of lightly jogging behind the bandwagon at the moment, just very lightly. Got a question here from, I just missed it. Where did it go? I just had it up here. Give me a second. 
Here we go. Rob Osgood. Rob asks, with recruiting areas like Carolina, Missouri, Arizona, a few others, how can Notre Dame get its brand into those areas? I know playing a game there is one way, but uh, how else can Notre Dame get into those hot, new hotbeds? I, I think the brand is already there. Uh, you know, I think especially like in Missouri and the Carolinas, the brand is already there. Uh, same with Arizona, the brand is there. I think what it's more about is exposure to recruits specifically. You're going to feel a Notre Dame presence just about everywhere you go in, from a pure brand standpoint. But what are some ways that you can enhance the brand with your football product? I think that's a good question. And I think they did that with like that score, that, that, uh, that board. Thing. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Right. The billboard thing was great. Yeah. But I think, Rob, you, you hit one, get into those areas and play games. The other, the other thing is just be seen, mm-hmm. you know, be it, be on the road. Make sure you always have it. When you first get on the road, make sure you have a coach or two down there going to different high schools, go to the big high schools, you know, let, let, you know, during the summer when you're doing speaking engagements, you know, make sure that you're at one of the coaches conventions at one of the, you know, cause like Vince, like I've talked about going to the coaches clinic, right? The national college coaches convention. Sure. Well, I'm sure you guys had Indiana coaches conventions oh, yeah. that you guys would be at. Well, be there, right? Yes. Be in those areas, you know, be when the North Carolina coaches get together, make sure someone from Notre Dame is there speaking. Right. If there's a, if there's a big coaches clinic down there, try to have one of your guys be one of the presenters down there. The you know, reason Nick kinda, presenter at the Texas football uh, coaches association. Right. Right. There's a reason for right. that. He wants to make sure the Alabama brand and him right. specifically the program. Yes. Correct. Within the state of Texas, because that's a huge recruiting right. ground for Alabama. That's a right. prime example. I think those are great ways to, to get your brand out there right. because if the coaches are, are, are will embrace you, then it's going to be a lot easier to you, for you to have a friendly voice. that's going to let you then connect with the players. Yes. It doesn't mean they're going to start steering them to you. You don't want coaches to steer kids to you. No. You just want to have an ally that that you're when a kid talks to you about us, you're going to give them a fair assessment of who we exactly. are. Exactly. It's our job to close the deal, not the high school coach. But the first line of defense as a coach, as a Notre Dame coach. You know what I mean? Like that's What's the that? first first line of defense is the high school coaches. You want to you want to have a good relationship with right. them. Even before the parents. The parents <laughs> comes as you get to know a kid. The first exactly. pe- person you talk to, one of the first people you're ever going to talk to about a high school kid is his high school coach. No question about it. And, you know, that's why you want to make sure you don't do too many things to kind of, you know, ruin those ruin those relationships, in my no opinion. Doubt. Quinn Kibler says, Brian, you have alluded to before that Notre Dame had a really good chance to get a better quarterback recruit in 2021. Do you think Drew Aller really would have came? Yeah, I do. There's a couple kids. So, number one, Kate Klubnik had a lot of early interest in Notre Dame. He was hoping that Notre Dame would recruit him. They didn't really recruit him. They didn't offer him. And he was the number one quarterback in the country. He ended up going to Clemson. Uh, Sam Horn, a kid that went to Missouri, two-way player, baseball and a football player. Very good baseball player as well. He liked Notre Dame. I talked to Sam and his offensive coordinator personally about that. He, He was really hoping to hear from Notre Dame. I think they would have had a chance there if they would have pushed. And they didn't. And so they didn't get him. And then as we, we've talked about the Drew Aller situation. So they got in late. They still gave him a lot to think about, but they got in super late. And the guy from Penn State had established a really long relationship with the kid. And that's what won the day. So had Notre Dame gotten involved earlier with some of those kids or gotten involved at all with some of those kids. Yes. I think they would have had a shot to land a better quarterback and not just Drew Aller. I mean, yeah. I, I think Sam Horn, who I had as a top 50 player. I mean, that kid is really good. He's he's, He's at the very least a top 75 to 100 player, the elite at very least. And he went to Missouri. He's going to play both ways. I love that kid. 
and he's a Georgia kid, right? So you're, you know, and Georgia wasn't on him for some reason, right? Because they had the, they had another kid committed to him that they liked more. I think that was a mistake. I like Sam Horn a lot, and they just chose not to go after him. So I, it, it wasn't just Drew Aller. It wasn't like Drew Aller or Bus, and and that's my thing. And he's talking about the 2022 class, but yes, right. that it is definitely it because Buckner was in 2021. I knew what you meant, Quinn, but. uh yeah, they definitely could have had a better quarterback. Now, maybe Steve Angeli makes me look stupid down the road and plays great. That's fine by me. Yeah, I'm cool with that, yeah, right? Absolutely. I'll never root against a kid to, to that I don't think is that good. Never root against a kid unless he's a bad kid. And Steve Angeli and, does not fit that category. And I don't see you publicly doing that anyway. So that might be right. you and me. We might talk about it. but Right. I mean, <laughs> what I mean is I won't I – won't, yeah, yeah. I'm referring I, to, I don't root for anybody. I hope I don't root for anybody probably unless it's a character thing like right. the kids had a rough go of it and i sure. really wished he would have been successful kind of thing okay timeout tom little has been actually we uh we talked about the monroe freeling visit earlier i forgot to unstar that one my apologies let's get down here to some more questions here vince salty virginia peanuts says question with scholarship numbers already dancing on the edge, how disruptive would surprise commitments by Tate or Young be? Who do you think would be taken off the board? So, number one, uh, they're not getting a surprise commitment from Cardinal Tate, right? <laughs> and I know there's some other questions in there, and I'll answer another question about Tar- Cardinal Tate here in a second. They're they're not getting Cardinal Tate, right? How would a, would a surprise commitment be disruptive? It wouldn't be disruptive. It'd be great because he's very talented. So, who would it impact? I mean, it would basically whoever wasn't one of the first next three to commit. I mean, that's it. Cause you'd have Hannafin, great house, Flores, Micah Tease. So you have four guys for three spots and it would basically be okay. Who wants to jump on board first is basically, basically how it would go. So yeah, I think it would affect that Richard, Richard young, that won't affect the numbers at all because they've kind of planned for that. What was fascinating is Ryan did an article, Jeremiah love the other day. And obviously he would be considered the second running back in the class. If Notre Dame lands him, he's visiting this weekend from St. Louis Christian brothers school. He said to Ryan, I don't want to be viewed as just a running back. I want to be viewed as an all around athlete. I think I could yeah. play receiver and corner at the next that level. Was cool. like that was that. without being prompted. Right. That was just him talking. Well, Notre Dame's been recruiting them that way. So that's perfect for Notre Dame. So if you right. get Richard young, it just, you know, so now how I would think it would affect the numbers is now that would make me say maybe then they don't take a fifth receiver. Maybe then they decide not to take a sixth offensive line. I mean, these are all hypotheticals. Maybe then they decide not to take a third corner, sure. right? A fourth linebacker, you know, to, to fit that. But I think Richard Young's would, would Richard Young's commitment would be more of a shakeup from a scholarship number standpoint than Cardinal Tate's because Cardinal Tate's would just shake up the, the pecking the receiver. order receiver or who would be a take or not, you know, you're not right. taking six. It doesn't change the numbers. I think good, getting Richard Young would, would require you to then finagle the numbers a little bit if you also get Jeremiah Love. Right. But if you just get Richard Young and don't get Jeremiah Love, then it doesn't change anything. Fine. Because we're right. already accounting for a second slot. You're swapping one for the other. Right. Because in, in my 27, I already, I'm already accounting for a second linebacker right. or second running back sort of spot. And, and so that's how – I think the Richard Young one and Jeremiah Love would be the thing that would really shake things up. And then, of course, if you're if you get Jagasaw and Freeling, that would shake things up. 
that would be the only other one that to me right now would shake things up a little bit. And, and I think if they got Caleb Downs, it would shake things up a little bit. You, yeah. You'd have to figure out like, okay, you got to make a decision somewhere, uh, but it would be worth it. It would be so incredibly worth it. Yes. No <laughs> in about my that. opinion. That's, that's, so, that's work that you don't mind doing. You know what I mean? Correct. Like figuring out where things lie. And, yeah, that, that's correct. And I want to just a follow-up question, uh, question to this. And then Vince, I have another question that I want to get your opinion on as well. Okay. Timeout Tom says, what caused Cardinal Tate to become anti-Notre Dame? Is Tate the person in Dante Moore's ear that's feeding him negatives about Notre Dame? I don't think Cardinal Tate's anti-Notre Dame at all. No, he's pro I just, I just think he's pro NIL right. and pro what Ohio State has done. I mean, the only reason he's looking at Tennessee over Notre Dame is because NIL. And, and he, for whatever reason, he has made a decision, him and his family, that he wants to get paid to go to school somewhere. Right. And Notre Dame's not going to do that. And so – that's what it's at. And when I mean paid, I mean the current structure of the way the NIL seems to get because the NCAA is doing it. It's not, it is against the rules, but they're not enforcing it essentially. Uh, So it is what it is. That's, but I don't view him as anti Notre Dame. I don't think he's anti Notre Dame. I don't, I don't think Cardinal is a bad, he's the same kid now as a kid three months ago that we all loved. I think he's, Got some immaturity and th- but he's what seventeen years old, eighteen years old. To be expected to a degree, right? And not that it's okay. I mean, you always want to try to teach kids to do better, and he's done some things. I'm like, that's a pretty, pretty um. Come on, dude, like be better than that. Right. But it's exactly. nothing like, oh my god, this guy's a horrible kid or hates There's Notre Dame. Guys just, the same exact thing. Yeah, and right. I think part of it too is some Notre Dame fans have brought this on themselves. Hey, you don't want a kid to tweet things that about Notre Dame that you piss you off, then you shouldn't be tweeting at the kid and and going at the kid on Twitter anyway. Exactly. You know, so some of this stuff, if you're tweeting at kids like like Brandon Plesner, somebody will bring up here in a second, tweets at kids, but he does it like he'll just put something like a, a Notre Dame graphic, like, like a go Irish. That's it. Totally fine with that. Totally cool with that. You know, best of luck to your kid or whatever. Hey, we're rooting for you. I'm okay with that stuff. But when you're getting into like spats with a kid or trying to call a kid out or right. taking like it to that level, you're an adult, come on, man, find right. something better right. with your time. Then don't be shocked when that kid wants to go back at, because unfortunately a lot of young people, ha- and I don't know where this comes from because I don't work with young people anymore, but they, they have this thing, Vince, where a lot of young people and some Notre Dame players are like this, where they'll take the small vocal majority minority of people that are negative and kind of put that on the rest of the fan base. Sure. Yeah. We heard Kyle Hamilton do that a little bit and it's like, that's not reality. Right. And, and unfortunately that that's, but that's the way that young people are reacting. General. Correct. Unfortunately, I mean, it, it just is. Correct. It is. It is very unfortunate. Speaking of Brandon Plesner, he says, Brian, did you believe Gunnar Keel was a five-star quarterback Ooh. coming out of high school and what led to his unsuccessful career? And departure from Notre Dame. So I want to get your opinion on Gunnar Keel in a second. Minutes. I want to answer Brandon's cl- uh, question. No, he was not a five-star quarterback. I've said that. I've said that before. Not often because we don't talk about Gunnar a bunch. No, I did not. I actually wanted Mighty Mock over Gunnar Keel. And they both had issues, but for different kind of things. I don't think he had an unsuccessful career at Notre Dame. He didn't stay long enough. Right. I mean, he was a backup to Everett Golson on a team that was twelve and zero. I wouldn't call that unsuccessful. I'd call that normal. Right. That's normal. Per- right. And then he goes to leave after that. Kid right? comes now, in. Right. He might have started in 2013 if he would have stayed. Who knows? It would have been him and Tommy Reese battling for the job. Who knows how that would have turned out? And and if Gunnar Keel would have stayed, I don't know if, if Ever Golson would have come back. Right? I mean, who who knows? Gunnar Keel also had a really good first year at Cincinnati. And this is what's not discussed enough about Gunnar Keel. 
if you look at his numbers, his first year at Cincinnati, just give me a second to pull him up. He was actually a pretty good quarterback. Uh, 2014 was his first year. He completed 59.7% of his passes, threw for 3,254 yards, 31 touchdowns, 13 picks, had 142 rushing yards and a touchdown. That's like 3,400 yards of offense. And, and you know, at Cincinnati as a redshirt freshman, basically, you know, because he was technically a redshirt sophomore, but, you know, he, he right. sat out twice, but essentially never played it down. That's pretty good. And what happened was, I don't remember if it was the end of his first year or if it was early. Okay, yes, it was. So his first game of his of the season, he had uh, it's the next year he he threw for 427 yards and four picks uh, against Temple, but still threw for 427 yards. And and I'm trying to remember when it was at some point in time in that stretch, he took a really bad hit. And ended up missing like two games that year. And and he just he was he started getting kind of some injuries and he just didn't really recover. Still had some good games. He had four games in a row when he came back from the first injury. 327 yards, 319 yards, 523 yards, 386 yards. And I think so. The first time he he got injured early in the year, and I think it was Tulsa. I think it was Tulsa, and I could be wrong on this when he took that really bad hit and he just, I could be wrong on that. I'm going to have to look it up because like the timing of it, but he never recovered from that. Like mentally, he never recovered from that. He had some concussion issues. He couldn't stay healthy. You know, missed the first four games of the next year, came back and played a little bit, but just, he was never the same kid. I mean, in one of the games he played that next year, he, he went 23 of 40 for 348 yards and four touchdowns. And then three games later, he was out of lineup again. He just ne- mentally never recovered from that. Yeah. Ba- I mean, it was a savage hit. And I'm going to have to try to remember when it was. The timing of it all is like a little fuzzy to me. This is like back in 2014 and 15. So forgive me. But he was he was putting up some really good numbers and it was having some success. And I'm telling he just he went and I can't remember when that hit happened, but he just, he just never recovered from it. He just never recovered from it. And that second year, he only threw for 2,700 yards and 19 touchdowns. He did throw 11 picks. Four of them came in one game early. But, like, second half of the year, he threw for 11, 13, 14 touchdowns and six picks. He missed three whole games that year in most of another game. That's why his numbers were down. His QB rating was actually higher in 2015 than it was in 2014. He played less games, so his numbers weren't quite as good. But he just – he never recovered from that hit. And – I think that's the reason he ended up not having as successful of a career. But again, I never thought he was a five-star quarterback, Vince. Now, I, I know you were more familiar with him than maybe a lot of other players because he was an Indiana kid. He was an Indiana kid, I yeah. I remember I, – I, I thought there was there were some immaturity issues there. Yes, that there was, was the biggest. Some daddy issues there. The kid committed to like three different schools. Yes. Yeah, it was Alabama. With the, the, no, it, it was – Wasn't it Alabama? It, no, you're LSU. thinking Blake Barnett. Oh, you're right. LSU. He signed with LSU. He also had been committed at one point to Indiana. Right. And then ended up coming to Notre Dame. So there were do some that. things going That's on. That's a huge red flag for me in general, right? From an actual on-the-field play standpoint, I remember talking to somebody. It might have been you, uh, Brian. It's like, I don't see what all the fuss is about. You know what I mean? Like, that was the biggest thing for me. Was he a good qu- – yeah, he's a good quarterback, but I never thought of him as a five-star quarterback. I never mm-hmm. – 
and I and I don't run through recruits and rank them and everything, but it's just an eyeball test for me. I never understood what everybody was getting so worked up about, to be honest. And he was no, I was like, okay, well, Notre Dame got him. Let's see, you know, what he can do, kind of a thing. It was more of a kind of a wait and see situation for me. And I actually saw him out and about at one point. He was arguing with his girlfriend or something. I was like, yeah, that kid's just not very mature. Like that, right. that's just the the feeling that I got as I saw him in person kind of a thing. And it has nothing to do with his play on the field. He never had an opportunity to play on the field in Notre Dame. So I don't really have anything to say about that, but I just never understood what all the fuss was about from a recruiting mm-hmm. standpoint. I think it was more right. name recognition was part of it. And I don't know. I just wasn't really all that impressed. Right. Good, solid quarterback, but not. I think stars. physically he was talent. He was very talented. Sure. sure. That's that. And I don't know if you even spoke to that at all. I th- I would say if if I thought he threw a re- he had a pretty good arm, was a pretty athletic kid. I thought if you're just standing there watching him throw, boy, this kid's an impressive quarterback. Sure. I never thought he was great at reading defenses in high school. The offense, I mean, he he played on a pretty good team, right, and didn't play great competition. Yeah. But you could just see Vince, like you said, the other stuff is what made you like, uh. Yeah. Yes, you know, it, it committed to over. one school, yeah. then goes to LSU, and he decommits from Indiana because his older brother got benched, and it was just like that's right. when you're being controlled by someone else, yes. and that's what it always seemed. And and I I don't want a quarterback that's being controlled, and mm, I'm not going to go there. This is a concern I have with a specific quarterback that Notre Dame is recruiting now. I, I want a quarterback that can take command, not that's going to be commanded. And that was my issue with Gunner is kind of like wherever dad was pushing was what Gunner was going to ultimately do. Yeah. You know, the kid committed, committed to three schools, signed with two and then transferred again. You know, it just was kind of like a, a big red flag to me. And at some point in time, you've got to be a man to say, Hey, look, I'm stepping up and I'm taking control of my recruitment. Yes. Gunner never really did that. If the kid that I think we all know I'm talking about does that, then I'll maybe, be less concerned about it, but the longer this goes on, CJ Carr did that. CJ Carr's dad wanted him to take his recruitment on, and not in a bad way. In, yeah. in a being a support, you're a sophomore in high school. You don't have to commit now. Exactly. Like go through the process. And to a degree, CJ respected his dad, but then he was like, "Look, I don't want to disrespect other schools. I know where I want to go." And his dad said, "Okay," but that was CJ dictating what he yes. wanted to do, and yes. his father honored those wishes. That's a healthy relationship. Healthy. That was going to be the next thing yeah. out of my mouth. Healthy right. relationship. Because look. I think the parents should be involved, especially Correct. if you have a good relationship with your parents. They should be involved in this. It affect, your commitment affects everybody, okay? They should be involved, right. but it should be a healthy involvement. And I, I, I think the C.J. Carr commit, uh, recruitment and what we're hearing, what we heard about how the parent, you know, just what you just said, I think that was super healthy. And I, I want to emulate that with anybody that I'm close to getting recruited who I have a, a hand in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that – that is the kind of recruiting relationship that I would want to emulate. Not the, right. hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. Right. It's, hey, I do have a little bit of right. experience here. I want to help you, but ultimately it's your decision. I'm going to back you 100%. Yeah, I, I right. think, yeah. And it's a fine line as a parent. I will give them that. It is a fine line as a parent, but you, ha- somebody has to be the adult in the room. And sometimes the kid needs to step up and be the adult. Sometimes it needs to be the actual adult. And sometimes right. it needs to be both. You know what and I mean? if a parent is does realize that a kid is being railroaded or lied to, a parent should have the 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 willingness to sit and say, "Hey, son, I'm putting my foot down on this one, and here's why." Absolutely. You know, and so I, 
again, a parent needs to be willing to push. There's a recruit, and I'll and I'll share this story when it happens. But there's a recruit whose whose parents I know want him at Notre Dame, but they pushed him away from Notre Dame, uh, an early Notre Dame commitment because they wanted to make sure that their fondness for Notre Dame didn't cause him to make a decision that he thought they wanted him to make. So they kind of not forced him, but encouraged him to go through the process, go other places. So that way, when he does commit to Notre Dame, they're going to feel like it was his decision, not our, that's good parenting. Healthy parenting, right? Right. Because you're now pushing him away from the school that you ultimately want him to go to because you think that's what's best for your child. Yes. And it's the parents that are using their kids to kind of get theirs and have a problem with. Absolutely. Or that they're trying to be micromanagers of their kids' career. So, like how CJ Carr's dad was with CJ and how Gunnar Keel's dad was Gunnar Keel are two completely different universes. And and you got to be at quarterback, especially. Yes, that's a red flag for me. Jimmy Clausen's another perfect example of that. Did you ever hear anything about Malik Zaire's parents? Like, no, I didn't. Right. Cause you know, they were involved, but it's kind of like, but this is your decision. Right. And that's why Malik has had when he was in their name, more leadership ability than a lot of the other kids that we talked about. Right. Cause right. It, it's a, you got to grow up and you got to be the man. You got to take charge. You got to be this. And so you want parents that are there to encourage and instruct and make sure you're asking the right questions. But at the same time, you can't have parents that have become basically your, your, your dad should not be your agent. Your dad should be your dad. And unfortunately there's a lot of parents that have lost that. And it goes all the way. I mean, it's been going on for decades. I mean, you know, it's not a new thing. NIL has only made it kind of dirtier. I mean, Blake Barnett had people in his, I don't remember his dad or stepdad. I think it was his dad. Cause his parents weren't married and he had like a stepdad that would have, you know, it was the dad, you know, I, I, I get real nervous. If you, you, you go back in time, a lot of the, I think, I think Malik and Sean talked about this recently, but a lot of the parent, a lot of these kids that you kind of see that end up being bus had parents that you, you knew who their parents were. Right. That's what I loved about the Archie Manning stories. You ever hear like Peyton and Eli talk about how he handled recruiting very hands off. Like I love the story when they were in the meeting with David Cutcliffe, at, you know, when he was at Tennessee, and you know they're going over film and plays, and David Cutcliffe's trying to pick Archie's mind. He turns around and Archie's in the back of the couch asleep. You know, he's like, "This is Peyton's deal. This isn't my deal." You know what I mean? Like, I just freaking love that. I don't know if I can right? fall asleep on a recruiting yeah. visit. But yeah, that's pretty funny. You know, so I, I just you know, I, 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 did. I mean, I, right. and I appreciate that too because it's his life. At the end of the day, it's exactly. his life. So uh, very, very interesting one. So let's get to some more questions here, Vince. I think we got that one already. I just want to make sure I check some of these out. Here's a good one. John A1. How does the recruiting buzz we have now compare to the Charlie Weiss era? Hmm. Well, I would say the buzz is different because of social media, number sure. one. Yeah. So that, that was a definite difference. I remember. You had like message boards and stuff then, but yeah. you didn't have the immediate. You had to be Twitter. a paying member. Right. And Twitter was so new. I remember when Charlie Weiss got on Twitter. You know what I mean? So, like, that was a very new. And I remember thinking to myself, why do I care about what Charlie Weiss is doing day to day? Like, that, why does that? Why is that a thing? And, of course, now Twitter. So, I, obviously, I did not jump on the board on the bandwagon with Twitter. Mm-hmm. When it came out. I didn't understand it. But um, so, I think social media had a lot to do with it. I, I remember his recruiting, though, and 
And he was really dynamic getting offensive players yep. to, to Notre Dame. And it was it was the Super Bowl ring effect. I mean, no doubt about it. And I remember people telling me that his his whole pitch was bringing in the Super Bowl rings and plopping them on the table and said, mm-hmm. I know what the NFL wants and I can get you there. And he was able to get a lot of really good offensive recruits. It That wasn't Charlie Weiss's downfall. Recruiting was not his issue. Offensive recruiting wasn't. There was a big difference in what they did on offense and what they did on defense. Solid point. Uh, but that was yeah. not his downfall. It was it was how he practiced and how he kind of ran the program. He ran it like an NFL team, not like a college program, and you can't really do that. So, but offensive recruiting, man, he was really good at it. He was really good at it. I'll give mm-hmm. him that. I think the buzz also didn't start really until after they had a a, a really good first season. I think that helped as well. I mean, and and even his his first two classes weren't great. They were good, but they weren't great. 07 was probably the first really good one because you had some really big-time five-stars, Jimmy Clausen, Duval Kamara, Golden Tate, Mike Ragone, Armando Allen, Robert Hughes. I mean, again, I'm naming a bunch of offensive players. It wasn't until 08 that they had a really balanced elite class. Because obviously in 08, you had Dane Christ, you had Michael Floyd, you had uh, Deion Walker, who was a top 100 recruit. You had Kyle Rudolph, you had Trevor Robinson, some big-time offensive recruits. You had uh, – uh, who's the running back in 08? Uh, it was – it wasn't Jonas – was it Jonas – yeah, Jonas Gray, who was a top 100 back. But that class also had, like, Ethan Johnson on defense, who was a top 100 recruit. You had Steve Filer, Darius Fleming were four-star recruits. You had Robert Blanton in that class. You had Jamor, Jamor Slaughter in that class, highly ranked. Dan McCarthy was in that class, was a highly ranked kid, who I think would have had a great Notre Dame career if not for all the injuries. Like, he was so athletic. But that was the first balanced class that Charlie had, and then the next year was back to just, you know, top-level players and but very unbalanced classes. So I would say the buzz is better now because, number Vince's point about social media is important, but I also think the Notre Dame's had such a better on-field product as well that that helped generate the buzz. And even with all the buzz, there was always still that, but he's kind of a dick kind of thing. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, you'd, you'd hear that. And, and I don't mean that from – I mean, you'd hear that. Like, they'd miss on a kid because, like, the parents just, like, didn't like Charlie. You know, and, and you'd hear that. Or the high school coach just didn't like Charlie. Yeah. And you don't hear that from this coach, uh, you know, in, in this staff. So I would say the buzz now is definitely better. But it's the most recruiting buzz, really, that they've had since – really the 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 first two years of Brian Kelly. I mean, because they won some big battles early on with Notre Dame. They missed some battles they shouldn't have had, as we talked about earlier with Darby. But, I mean, Brian Kelly's first full recruiting class had three five-star defensive ends in it. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty flipping good, you know? So it just it was just the lack of consistency what was there. Domer, a lot of recruiting questions today, Vince. Domer Grizz, right. I know you said circumstances allow for it this year, but if we end up having to take six offensive linemen to get Freeling, do you think the staff will regret taking Sam Pendleton or Sullivan Absher or just be thrilled to get Monroe Freeling and CJ uh, Charles Jackson? Let me let me explain this to you because, Domer, I'm not I'm, – I'm, when I say th- that sounded like I was about to come at you, I'm not. Let me explain where this process to you. So – because I think that it's it's more from a context standpoint. The first player to commit to Notre Dame in the 2023 offensive line class was Sam Pendleton, right? And went Sam because they're at four now. Went Sam Pendleton, then Sullivan Absher, then Joe Otting, then Elijah Page. 
every single time they took one of those kids, they knew they were the leader or co-leader for Charles Jagasaw and Monroe Freeling every single time. When they signed Sam Pendleton, they 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 thought here's the funny thing. They they the kid that they thought they had the least shot at at the time was Sullivan Absher. Then obviously Joe Odding came into the mix eventually. But when before Joe Odding got on the board, they were trying to also get Samson Okanlola. Right. And that was a guy they didn't have as good of a shot with. But when they took Sullivan Absher, they knew that they had a good shot with Elijah Page, Joe Odding if they wanted him, Charles Jagasaw, and Monroe Freeling. Every single step of the way that Notre Dame has taken a kid, they knew that they were the leader or co-leader for and still had visits coming from those two kids. The point being, with that in mind, they took those guys because Harry Heastand wanted them. Yep. They were also fits. And, you know, you wanted it. He wanted a, a 6'4", 300-plus-pound physical mover inside. That was Sam Pendleton. They wanted a center. That was Joe Otting. Then, they, then the rest of it's tackles that you can move to guard, which is what Harry loves. So he got his two pure interior guys, which is what he wanted, and then he went the rest of the way for others. So that's the that's the reality, Vince, there is the context is they always thought they could get to the, all those guys. So it was never a, gee, we don't think we're going to get this guy or the other guy. It was, we're just, we're not saying no to this kid is how, how it was been. So I think that's always been on the table. Do I think that they really thought that they were going to hit the inside straight and get all six of them? No, I don't. But they were prepared for that, in, that possibility, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think that, um, I don't think that that was something like, oh, shoot, we just took – because if that was the case, they wouldn't have taken Joe Otting last week, right, if they were getting nervous about numbers. Right. They would have done something different. So I, th- th- this has all been kind of part of the plan. They, And I think we're also assuming that they that that they view like Jagasaw and Freeling as like way better than these other guys. Those are the top two targets on the board. There's no question about that. But they don't view – Ceiling wise, they view Elijah Page as being right on that level, right? Not better. Not, I mean, some people are saying, oh, they thought he was better than so. Mm-mm. They think he's got every bit as high of a ceiling as those other two guys. They love Sullivan Absher, love Sullivan Absher, right? And, and Harry doesn't push for Sam Pendleton like he did if he doesn't think that kid's really good. And that's, that's the thing to be excited about is there's not, as long as they get one of those two, there's no bad. I mean, there, there's, it's going to be a really, really good offensive line class, no matter what. Notre Dame two one six four. Here we go, Vince. Here's one finally that you can you can answer since <laughs> it's not a recruiting question because we're just kind of trying to go in order to a degree. Yeah. Notre Dame two one six four. If Tyler Buckner is everything that we hope he can be, and Notre Dame wins a title this year, which fan base are you guys going to rub it in the most? And I'm asking this of Vince because I know exactly. Um who that's going to be it's Michigan and anybody that's a Michigan fan it's going right down their throat and then followed very closely by a phone call to my relatives that are USC fans so that would be the two fan bases that I would you still very count much... them as relatives huh that's interesting. I mean you know blood is thicker than water in theory mm-hmm. uh yes I do <laughs> but uh yeah those will be the two for sure I mean and those are the most fun people to pick on so yeah and I don't because right, so, I don't so let's into say like you very often i don't run into many other like and really, you're not what, the thing is you're not on social media that's yeah why. That's and, I, I, mean, and you, i don't you have a twitter account but you're you just you don't i'm you talking don't, about yeah. like the people i physically run into on a regular basis mm-hmm. it's gonna be michigan people and then relatives so 
I mean, is it really fair to rub it in the face of an IU or a Purdue fan? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. I would not do that because that's just not fair. Uh, but yeah, that those would be the two for me for sure. It's an interesting one. Yeah. Very interesting one. I let's say you had to take Michigan out of the equation and USC mm-hmm. out of the equation. You had to take the rivals out of the equation. Okay. See, this is the problem for you, Vince, is because you're not a social media creature. Not, I don't engage in social right. media like a lot of people do. Yeah. I think for me it'd be Ohio State and Alabama fans. Yeah, because they are so disrespectful to Notre Dame, so disrespectful. You know, I don't know how Clemson. I've I've met some Clemson fans, and I've always found them to be very nice, decent people. Uh, Georgia fans used to talk a lot of crap about Notre Dame until they had to play Notre Dame twice, and then they came away with a different respect for Notre Dame, even though they beat them both times. They they were dog fights, and they realized like, hey, this this team's pretty good. And their fans were great when they were here, and they were great when when we went there. So I got nothing but love for George, the Georgia fans that I've ever met. Ohio State fans, for the most part, again, there's no definitives, but for the most part, are bad. That's why I've been shocked how good Archer's been in our show, because like he's an Ohio State fan, and I mean, and I'm saying that as someone who grew up and lived for almost 20 years in the state of Ohio, right? I mean, because I lived there for the first 15 years of my life, lived there for another year when I was a youth pastor, and then lived there for two years when I was coaching football at defiance. So that's almost 20 years of my life. I lived in Ohio. It's almost half my life. I'm speaking from firsthand experience. Yeah. I don't have that experience. Right. At all. They're awful. <laughs> They're awful. Right. And, and, you know, so, and plus my whole mom's side of my family is almost exclusively Ohio state fans. And there's a couple Michigan fans. So trust me, if Notre Dame wins a title, I will. And even more so if, if, uh, even more so if they beat Ohio State and win a title. Because what would suck is if they that go 11 and 1, lose to Ohio State and win a title. Because then Ohio State fans are like, oh, but we still beat you. You know, right. if they beat Ohio State and they win a title this year, oh my gosh, I would, I would, I would be, I will, I will just warn people there's going to be a 24 hour at some point in time. Like, I'm going to do my articles, we'll do the post game show, we'll like do the professional stuff. But at some point in time, that following week, I'm gonna go on a 24 hour. I no longer. I'm no longer speaking as the owner and publisher of Irish Breakdown. I'm not speaking as Brian Driscoll, Notre Dame fan, and some of y'all are about to feel my wrath. I'm gonna say that right now. I would be so unprofessional for like 24 hours. I think. I, I, I hope that I could be better than that, but I just also know me. And uh, and you know who else? You know who else? I'm gonna talk a lot of trash to. <laughs> it's one individual. <laughs> Ooh, who's that? He lives now down in the south, and he developed a southern uh, accent recently. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, would you? What was that? <laughs> yeah, you got the school announcement coming up. Yeah, it, you know who it is. You know who it is. So, I would, uh, I would have a lot of, of fun and interesting things to say about uh, about him moving forward. So, yeah. Do, do you think? I mean, I would love to just like knock on his door and say something to him, but yeah, that they'd probably get arrested. That would probably wouldn't work out. Yeah, that well. wouldn't end well. <laughs> Yeah, and I would yeah. enjoy it. What a I way to go want, down! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd be there. I'd pay for, to see that one. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Shane O'Shea, hearing that CJ Carr is already 17 years old as a sophomore, does that change your projection of him at all? You talked about his arm strength needs to improve. His arm strength needs to improve from a maturity standpoint, but we we talked about this yesterday, Vince, I believe. Yep. Uh, his arm strength is fine. I think it's going to take a – it's not like a bazooka, but it's fine. It's going to get stronger. And I talked – Shane, yesterday – I would encourage you to listen to the, the part about it yesterday. I actually – I don't think I put it on YouTube, but the thing about it, Vince, is he's on a similar – very similar path that I was because he's got, as I said yesterday, he's got one of those weird like May, June birthdays where you turn that, you know, he turned 17 at the end of his sophomore year. So he's going to be 17 his whole sophomore year and then 18 and that whole, that whole time. Um, so uh, that was, that was that. Uh, but I talked about how you look at me as a sophomore, I was, you know, 16, I'm a sophomore, but turned 17 late. And then you look at where I was physically as a sophomore and then where I was physically as a senior and where my arm strength went from a sophomore to a senior, I definitely made jumps and he will make jumps. So, I mean, he just turned 17, like yeah. within a month. So uh, he was 16 on the film that we watched, the latest right. film that we watched. Right. He'll be 17 the next time. We see a film of him. So it doesn't change anything for me, Shane. He's probably – he's older than I thought he was, but it doesn't change a whole lot. He's probably six months, months older than I thought he was, uh, but it doesn't change a whole lot for me. It really – especially since Vince and I saw him in person and you look at him and say, he's a, he's a young kid. Like look, I, I don't think yeah. – I don't think CJ's shaving yet, you know, or or much. It's like, you hey, should be shaving that, dude. You're, right. like, you're wasting <laughs> money on racers month and he borrows mine like that <laughs> right right absolutely well vince we got to knock some you, you got a meeting a, a impromptu meeting coming up in 20 minutes so we got to try to knock through some um, as many of these as we can so let's get to this one from thomas flanagan how good do you guys think tyler bunker can be are you worried about how he perform against ohio state let's take the second one first vince uh, yes yeah, of course. yes it's his first career start. You're making it against the top five team on the road. Of course, you're be concerned fan about that. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be gonna fine. Be... He's going to shred him. Shred him. One game. Like, right. No, of course He's I'm going to pass for five touchdowns, throw for 400, run for 100, and they're going to win by 20. If you asked me to rank the things that I'm most nervous about going into that game, and I, and I, will, and I don't think that that ranking will change a whole lot from today all the way up until September 3rd or whatever the day before the game is, right? September 2nd. It's he's going to be the top of the list. I'm most nervous about how he's going to play. And it doesn't matter what I see in fall camp. It doesn't matter because the fall camp is not the horseshoe. Fall mm-hmm. camp is not on the road. First game of your career as a starter. So yeah, I'm going to be nervous about the way he played. Now, am I confident that he's going to do a good job? Sure, but I'm I can still be nervous about it, and I am nervous about it. It's his first start. If it was four games in, that's a different conversation. So, yes, I am nervous about how he's going to play because sure. his 
affects so many other positions and, you know, a bigger part of the team than any other position. Mm -hmm. Now, to the first part, Vince, how good do you think Tyler Buckner can be? Like, not not just let's go 2022 and then just big picture. How good do you think? If he's the player that you think he is, what's that going to look like in 2022 and then for his career? So for 2022, that looks like, you know, an 11 and one season for Notre Dame that, that he can lead them to where they should be for this year. Okay. As a talent level all around, I think he's good enough to do that. And then moving forward, you know, the, the second year, obviously I have not looked at the schedule for 2023, but I believe Alabama's on there. Right. If I'm not mistaken, does that sound right? So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I think he can be the next, I want, I don't know if I want to use the word great, I think he could be the next really good quarterback for Notre Dame. Multi-year mm-hmm. starter. He's going to win a lot of games. He's going to have a lot of success. He's going to be a guy that you can count on in big spots. Can he win Notre Dame a national championship? I think that remains to be seen. I don't know if I'm ready to predict that yet. but I, think I am. Be really- I am. Because, again, the question is if he's as good as you think he okay. is. And, yes, he can lead Notre Dame right. to a national championship. Because the, they're asking what we think. Yeah. What can he be? And for me, if Tyler Buckner's the player that I think he is, Notre Dame will win a championship in the next three years. And a lot of that has to do with the guys that are around him, though, too. Like, But, I, that's, a, but that's never been the problem. I mean, Notre Dame would have at least two titles in the last decade if they had the kind of quarterbacks Bama has had in recent years or Oklahoma's had. I mean, look, yeah. put Kyler Murray on the Notre Dame 2018 team, and they may have a title. Because Notre Dame in almost every area matched up well against Clemson. There was one area where there was a mismatch. It was at quarterback, right? They they couldn't neutralize Clemson's strengths on defense at quarterback where Trevor Lawrence only had five or six opportunities to make plays in those games, and he made, like, big plays on four of them, right? Yeah. You put Kyler Murray in that situation, it's a different deal. I've said this before. Lamar Jackson was the best quarterback in the country in 2017. Put him on that Notre Dame football team, and they win a title. Nobody beats Notre Dame if Lamar Jackson is their quarterback in 2017. Nobody beats Notre Dame in 2017 if Baker Mayfield's their quarterback, in my opinion. You know, because he would have because of the run game and all that kind of stuff. And I would say this again: I think 2015 is a similar thing. If Deshaun Kaiser, if Malik Zaire doesn't get hurt in 2015, I still believe Notre Dame has Notre Dame would have definitely beat Clemson, in my opinion. And I would have loved to have seen that Notre Dame team in the playoff in 2015. I would have loved to have seen them go up against anybody. Clemson would have been out, right? So the national runners up, you just knocked out because you beat them at their place. Jacob Coker, I'm a, I'm going to be afraid of Jacob Coker at Alabama. No, thank you. No, thank you. And I've had people say, well, AJ, McC- AJ McCarron was a really talented quarterback who was drafted and I think is still in the NFL as a backup quarterback. Jacob Coker was not drafted huge powerful arm wasn't drafted because he was not good he just would hand off give me that 2015 roster with Malik Zayer quarterback and I think Notre Dame has a chance to compete so my point is the town around the quarterbacks has been there a lot that's the one year I thought they had a quarterback in place that could do it I think the town is there for this team they need a dynamic player quarterback and so yes I do think that he could be that guy if he's the player I think he is. But he has to be as good as I think he is. He can't be like 75% of the quarterback that I think he is. Then it becomes more about the town around him, if that makes sense, Vince. And we've talked about it a bunch of times, how Notre Dame has been a quarterback away from being special. And Mm -hmm. I I agree with that. Here's a question for you. You're going to love this one, Vince. Hunter H. asks, based on on what we know right now, who wins if LSU played Notre Dame? 
play tomorrow, like this season coming up. Let's say they're no opening the season against LSU. Because like the Oregon-Georgia dynamic, right? Like Dan Landing leaves and some other coaches leave for Oregon and they're playing in the first game of the year. You've got Sark playing against Alabama early. If LSU and Notre Dame were playing in the first three games of the year this year, who plays? Who wins? And like, the, I don't think it's close. I don't think it's close either. And I don't care if it's, you know, they're playing at midnight down in Death Valley. I don't think that matters. I, I think mm-hmm. – I. Yeah, I I say uh, finally Brian Kelly gets to coach in a big game where I'm rooting for the other team, and that excites me. <laughs> we know, we also know his track record in said games. Chalk <laughs> one up, like oh, I'm good. Yeah, uh, Chris, <laughs> Christopher Crosby. I'm so petty. I love it. Christopher Crosby. <laughs> I love Tobias Merriweather. It reminds me of a slightly taller Rashad Bateman. First-year stats, 51 catches, 704 yards, 6 TDs. Can Tobias have that kind of first-year production, in your opinion? Can he? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Here's the thing. Rashad Bateman, though, went to a roster that didn't have Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey and Braden Lindsey and, you know, Jaden Thomas. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like, that's the difference. Avery Davis, Joe Wilkins. It's easier for a kid that's going to Minnesota. I put it like this. If, if Tobias was signed with Minnesota, yes, he would absolutely do that as a freshman. No question about it the opportunities would be there at Notre Dame. I don't know if the opportunities will be there. Does he have the talent to do that? No question. I love Tobias Merriweather. Everybody knows that. Uh, but the opportunity is, and I think that I saw your face, Vince, that was kind of what your thought was. Well, that's a lot of production for, yeah. you know, cause you start thinking about all the guys he'd have to beat out. KPT at finest because freshmen don't make an impact at Notre Dame at wide receiver over right. the last decade. Right. Right. So, that that's my initial thought process. Well, he's a freshman, and we can assume that's not going to be that's going to be different because Kelly's gone. But we still got we got to see okay. it. So I mean, that was my initial thought. Was like that's a lot of production for a kid. He's probably not going to play a whole lot, but he should get some playing time. He's a really really good player, and he's one of the ones I'm excited to see the next time we get to see these guys practice. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to bring to the table. Yeah. We did have a super chat. I'm going to address it to a degree. Uh, the Iron Price. Why has the more recruitment cooled down so much after Carr committed when the other schools he's looking at, at also have a top quarterback on the board? I think there's a lot of things being said about this recruitment that are not accurate or are exaggerated or are being taken too far that are making it look like Dante Moore somehow still afraid of competition. If Dante Moore was afraid of competition or was worried about who signed around him, he wouldn't be looking at Oregon. He wouldn't be looking at Texas A&M. He wouldn't be looking at LSU. He would be looking at Michigan State. Uh, he'd be looking at Indiana. He'd be looking at, you know what I mean? Like he'd be looking at Cincinnati. He'd be looking at schools like that. He'd be looking at Oklahoma, who has who has a big needed quarterback. He that A lot of this has been overplayed. And a lot of this has to do with things that people at Michigan have told him about CJ not wanting to play with him. And 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 some people I think that 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 cover Notre Dame, I think have irresponsibly reported that in a manner that is is not factual or or exaggerated. And I think that has created a lot of a lot of issues. I think Dante has allowed some people to get in his ear to say things to him that are exaggerated or not true, and he's believed some of it, which is why he did call Coach Coach Freeman after CJ committed to find out. Like, hey, you guys still on me or not? But, like, once that bug has been put in a kid's ear or in his head, it's hard to get rid of that. And so beyond that, I don't have a lot I want to say about it because I still have a couple people that I'm supposed to talk to this weekend that are really connected to this. And I and, and so 
our stance is I'm going to wait till I have all the facts and then report it as opposed to just running around with stuff and then constantly changing the story based on who you've talked to most recently. That's irresponsible. That's not how we're going to do it. And uh, that's why. No, especially on the message board, because we don't have advertising on the message board. So I could get a million clicks on a message board piece and it doesn't matter because I'm not not getting any extra money for it. So, yeah, it's not uh, not we do. But I I appreciate the question. And the only reason I'm answering it the way I did is because you respected us enough to give us a super chat. And I didn't want to just be like, not talking about it. Right. Because, I mean, he basically paid for a month membership on the message board with that question. So. Yeah, so I appreciate that. Douglas wrote roundabouts. Emil Wagner had strong hands punch. I saw among the recruits commits. Not saying he is the best, just impressed them. Him and Billy Shrouth by far had the heaviest hands in last year's class. And I would be willing to bet. I would be willing to. I would not argue with you if you did say that Emil had the strongest hands. Love That's heavy hands. never been the issue with him ever. Mm-hmm. I got to ask this question before you got to run, Vince. And I'm going to try to get to a couple questions when yeah. you have to leave. But we're going to wrap it up here soon after that. I got to ask this one because otherwise you're going to get mad at me. Brian and Vince, and when Ryan joins, since Notre Dame starts playing the College World Series today, who do you feel is the best two-sport at, two athlete in Notre Dame history? My choice is Pat Connaughton, go Irish. So I'm assuming they said Pat Connaughton. He's referring to who had the most success in both sports. Mm. I would still – I would not go Pat – like so I wouldn't go Golden Tate because Golden Tate wasn't a great baseball player in Notre Dame. He's fast. Yeah, he was really- okay. Really right, fast. Cole Komet didn't wasn't a full time baseball player the way that other guys were. Sure. So to me, it comes down to Pat Connaughton and Jeff Samarja. Going with Evan Sharpley? No, I said he had to be good at those sports. <laughs> it's just setting you up for that. I just put that yeah. on a tee. For uh, it's Pat Connaughton for me. I, I Pat Connaughton can still. I mean. He's obvious. He's got a, he's got an NBA ring. I mean, he was kind of a sixth man situation with with the Bucks, but he's still. I think he's in line to sign another contract with the NBA, and he can still sling the the, the baseball too. So, I am going to go with Pat Connaughton, although it is a very close second to Jeff Samarja because he could have made a lot of money in the NFL as a wide receiver. There's no sure. question about. It. He made a lot of good money as a baseball pitcher, you know, too. So, well, he uh, was, a, let's be honest, he was a better baseball player than Pat Connaughton's been a basketball player. Yeah, that's probably true. I but mean, I, if, we're, if you're going, because you, you talked a lot about what he's done in the pros. Sure. With all due respect, Jeff Samarja was a better, a better professional baseball player than Pat Connaughton's been a better, than have been a basketball And that's not a knock on Pat. I mean, he's been a really good player, but he's, he's a role player, a very important role player. But Very Jeff Samar- yeah, Jeff Samarja was a legitimate, like, I mean, I, there were years where he was in the Cy Young contention, you know what I mean? Like, during his career. So I would have to, yeah, and I fine. think in college too, I think, I think Jeff was also a better, I think Jeff was also a, a better football player in college than Pat was a basketball player. In college. And Pat was a very good player, but Jeff Samarja was an elite wide receiver for two years at Notre Dame. So I, I would have to go with I would have to go with um I would have to go with Samarja on on that because especially for me I'm looking more at what they did in college. Pat was a very good pitcher in college, but Samarja was a pretty good pitcher in college too. Of course. And but but Jeff was the better football player for me. I, that's where I'd go. Now again, my frame of reference is goes back to about yeah, that time as far as two-way players. I'm not familiar with this is another one of those days I wish I could pick up the phone and be like, hey, Lou, yeah. talk to me about some guys that I'm forgetting. Yeah, 
was the best two way player. Yeah, because I exactly. guarantee there was like you know like he'd start talking about how George Gitt played like all these different sports. <laughs> baseball, he because like, he was on the baseball team right. when he got to the football team. So right, you know, so he much. would have some great responses to yeah. that. There's no question. What about? Uh, uh, well, I guess you, you were talking about success, but uh, wasn't Shane Walton? He was on the soccer team. He had a correct. scholarship soccer yeah. team. And I just don't know how good off. he was at soccer. I think yeah. good, actually, if you yeah. look into it, I'm pretty sure. He, like, I thought I read somewhere like one year he led the team of goals right now, as you just said. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he was pretty darn good at, at soccer. And yeah. usually that. And he was an All-American in football. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Cricky says, what are the chances we get Flores, Hannafin, and Great House? I'd say right now better than 50% of that they get all three. I feel I feel pretty good. Actually, ranking comp, most confident to least confident, Hannafin most confident, Great House next, and then Flores next or how I'd rank the three. That's how I would say. Sean Green, of the 23 O-line commits, who at this point is the most polished pass blocker, uh, that would be Elijah Page. Run blocker, right now I'd probably say Sullivan Absher would be my answer to that one. Here's a good recruiting one that people will want to know. How many public commits do you, would you guess Notre Dame received from the 23 class before August 1st? Also, how many for the 2024 class? By August 1st, I think they'll have at least two more 2024 commits. Okay. And I think that they'll have, see, by August 1st, I think they'll add at least eight more commits. No, let's go seven. Go seven commits of, of of twenty twenty three kids. So seven kids, I think, will go public by August first. Yes, it's going to be a very busy month, no doubt about it. I want to get your opinion on this, Vince. You got time for one more? One more, yeah. I just got abandoned by all the other guys in here. Okay, so first <laughs> time you had some silence during the show. Tyler Bengi asks his thoughts on computer rankings versus human polls. I honestly think that there's a lot of bias in human polls but most computer rankings add into polls too. So it's skewed as well. So what are your thoughts? So basically the BCS versus the current system and the old, old system, both have humans compared to. I despise the computer rankings. I think that there are some things that computers put together that you can use to come up with your rankings, which I do not have a problem with, you know, when it comes to like strength of schedule and like some things of that nature. But when you just leave it up to the computers, I absolutely hate it. There has to be an element of the eyeball test. Mm -hmm. There has to be. And that can only be done by humans. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm fine with the current system where you have a committee and they try their best to be, uh, you know, committee they do and, and it rotates committees done a really good job for the most part I think they've gotten it right they really for do the most think part for the most part so the most controversial decision they made was the first year and the team that they put in that was the controversy won it right so i mean then that's the thing so the committee's allowed to use certain dynamics that right. you know come up with compute and that's totally fine that's a piece of the puzzle but it cannot be the whole puzzle there has to be a human right. element to it to be well here's the other thing computer polls are not like there's no ai out there that's just making these computer models computer models are created by humans and if the the system is flawed it's like the s&p plus or sp plus or whatever that is a computer thing but the 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 criteria was created by human and it kicks out stupid results constantly right and so computer polls are created by humans they create the data that goes into it they have bias in them 
which is how you'd get to like things where like, you know, my Florida state's playing for a title over Miami when they have the identical record and Miami beat Florida right. state. Right. I mean, exactly. you know, you kind of get in all these different situations where there was some, like what was the year that Oklahoma went out and got blasted in the big 12 title game by Kansas state. And then still I Kansas state, Colorado, one of the two, I think it was Kansas state and then still play for the title. It was the year that I think it was the year that Saban beat them for the, uh, I'm going to look that up. Uh, um, I think it was the year that Saban beat them for the national championship. I believe it was 04, right? I could be wrong on that. But uh, no, that was the year that they beat USC. Was it 03? That, yes, 03. They went, they went out and played in the Big 12 championship game, and they lost 35-7. to They were ranked number one. They stayed ranked number one and played for the title against LSU. Absurd. Just uh, absolute stupidity. And so you just like, there's no way that can happen, but that's, you kicked in the numbers and this is, you know, I think you always have to have a a human beings that can look at it and say, this injury matters. These matchups matter. We can do this. We can do that. And that's what I like about, I I think there's nothing wrong with the committee. I think the committee is the way to go in regards to picking championships in my view, because I think there are people that understand the importance of let's get this right as best we can. And that's why I think so far, and now you always run the risk of bad committee members, right? But then you get rid of them and bring in more trustworthy or talented people. I think those are the things that I like. That's what I like about the committee is I think that's, of all the things we've seen, Vince, that's been the best thing that we've seen so far. So Vince has got to go, everybody. And before Vince, you go, I just have to show you this. Just wanted to say from God, Country, Notre Dame, and Barbecue, just wanted to say you guys are awesome, and I love the new night show as well. Keep on going on, which I knew nice. you wanted to see because you're more nice. a part of that. Love so, that. Love that. Thank you so much for that. So, listen, we are – Vince has got to go, so we are going to uh, call this a, a – put an end to today's show. I just texted with Ryan. He had an emergency come up today, so that's why he couldn't be on the show today. So I just talked to him, and because we're ending so short with so many good questions still left on the show – uh, I am going to uh, call an audible and we are going to do a second mailbag on Sunday. So sometime Sunday afternoon, we will get, we, uh, this is why you got to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, because if you hit that notification bell, you'll see it. So since we weren't able to kind of be with you guys all day and there's so many questions that we didn't get to today and some great questions that we were going to get to today. Ryan and I will get together on Sunday afternoon. This is not a, this isn't going to be a commitment show that we know of. Uh, this is going to be a mailbag. So we'll get together with you all on Sunday and we will, uh, we will have a, a, a sort of an impromptu Sunday mailbag is the plan for right now. Uh, it'll at least be me and Ryan. It potentially, you know, we may get Vince on it. Of course, tomorrow, Saturday, Sean and I will have our show. We've already got some topics picked out, really excited about the topics we're going to discuss tomorrow. So that'll be at one o'clock as well. So, Make sure you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. Uh, I just got an e- a text message while we were doing the show that a one of the advertisers for our podcast uh, said that they want to start, they want to they want to come back with us and, and run their ad again with us because they had so much success with people conversions conversions so people buying uh, their products. So really appreciate y'all very very much for that. That definitely helps keep us rolling and keep us you know being successful. So we can keep growing this team. Really really appreciate it. So. Uh, if you're listening via podcast, give us a five-star review. Sign up for the message boards. We'll have a lot going on this weekend. So anyway, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We'll talk to I will talk to you again tomorrow at 1 o'clock with Sean Davis, and then we will also see you again on Sunday as we will have another mailbag. So thank you all so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day, 
a tremendous weekend. I look forward to talking to you all again soon on the Irish Breakdown podcast.